Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today is the conclusion of our series on Nehemiah, and so I think it's a fitting thing to talk about chapter 8 today. Chapter 8 is the, the culmination of all of the hard work of the people of Israel as they return to the city of Jerusalem. We know the story, we've heard it now at least three times, if not many more before, that the people of Israel returned to the city of Jerusalem a trickle at a time, a little bit here, a little bit there. Zerubbabel led some to rebuild the temple. Ezra led some to reestablish the law of God. And Nehemiah came to rebuild the city walls of Jerusalem so that the city might not be imperiled by pagan neighbors. And we find ourselves today in chapter 8 of Nehemiah. The wall is done. Everything is as they had hoped it would be. They've rebuilt the wall, they've reestablished the sacrifices, they've reinstituted uh, the law. The temple is now a place where they can bring their worship to God. Things are good. And so Ezra stands up on a wooden platform and he pulls out the Pentateuch and he begins to read. If I were to do that here, I don't think many of you people would stay seated. I think you would get up just like they did in biblical times, but instead of standing to listen, I think you would stand to head towards the door. But the people of God take a penitential posture. They see that Ezra is the one who is leading them in this worship of God, that worship requires repentance, and then repentance brings restoration. And restoration gives us a reason to rejoice. That's what chapter 8 of Nehemiah is all about. The people find themselves standing before God himself in many ways and saying, we give our all to you. We give everything we have to you. And the people say to, to and Nehemiah says to the people these words, when they see their sinfulness and the reason why they were kicked out of the land of Israel to begin with because of their unfaithfulness to God's covenant promise, the people start to lament. And Nehemiah says, do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. These words are words that I hope you've heard before. They're words that we can hold true, that if God is on our side, we need not grieve. Because if God is on our side, then his strength is the thing in which we rejoice. We may not be strong enough to find real joy in this life when we truly consider our own shortcomings, but if we have God, we can rejoice. And then verse 12 of chapter 8 concludes with these words, Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. And that's where we conclude our discussion on Nehemiah in this sermon series. And well, at least in terms of the readings. We stop at chapter 8, but do you know how many chapters are in Nehemiah? 13. So what's going on? We've barely made it past halfway and we're done, right? Well, obviously that's not the end of the story. It sounds like it should be. 
the people went away and ate and drank and celebrated because they'd rebuilt the wall, they'd reestablished the temple, they've reinstituted the law of God. Things are good, even though we confess our sins and acknowledge our shortcomings. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen, let's go home. But that's not the end of the story. Do you know why I know it's not the end of the story? Because what is the entirety of Scripture about? It's not about rebuilding a wall. It's not about rebuilding the temple. It's not about reinstituting the law of God. That's only half of the equation. As Lutherans, we know good and well what the other half of that equation is, the law and the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not there yet. And so what should be the end of the story, what should be a happy ending for the people in Jerusalem turns out to just be a fake ending. And there's some strife that goes on. As a matter of fact, if you read, and I would invite you to, it's pretty short, go home today or whenever you have a chance and read Nehemiah chapter 13, and you'll see that some interesting things happen. Eliashib, the one who they place to be the high priest over the temple, the one who is to preserve its holiness, the one who is to be the one who honors God and, and is the only one selected to enter into the holy places to do the, the priestly things that they've been given to do. Eliashib is a relative of Tobiah. You might remember that name as one of the three guys who were the bad guys of the story of Nehemiah. And Eliashib has a soft spot for Tobiah and opens one of the storerooms of God's temple where they would store the sacred offerings. He gives that room to Tobiah to worship pagan gods in the temple courtyards. So you see that the, the reestablished covenant promise of the Jewish people to, to keep the temple a holy place where God can be in their midst, it's been utterly defiled. And Nehemiah goes in and he cleans house and he says, God, I've done the best I can. Preserve me and keep me. Then something else happens. The people of Israel are all gathered together doing the law. They know the law of God once more. They've had it taught to them by the priests and the Levites. And then they quickly fall into sin once more. They violate the Sabbath day. They start doing work. They start trading. They start making and, and buying and purchasing foreign foods from foreign people. And Nehemiah goes in and says, No, we just read about this. We taught you about this. The Sabbath day is holy. The law says we must keep it holy. The Sabbath day is God's day. And so they reestablish the law and then just... We don't know the exact amount of time, but a year later, two years later, that's pretty optimistic, actually. They violate God's law and break his covenant promise. And then the wall that Nehemiah works so hard on becomes a place where foreign merchants hang out and begin to sell their wares outside of the city of Jerusalem so as not to violate the Sabbath day, and the wall becomes defiled. 
The whole purpose of the book of Ezra and Nehemiah is to showcase how God sent Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah to build the temple, reestablish the law, and build a wall. And now at the end of the book, all three of them are utterly defiled. That's not a happy ending, folks. That's not a happy ending. That's an ending that shows us that the law condemns. The law shows us our shortcomings. And that's really what Nehemiah is all about. If you look at Nehemiah, you'll realize that even though it falls like in the middle of the Old Testament, it's actually the last bit of recorded history that we get in the Old Testament. It's literally the end of the Hebrew Scriptures. And it leaves you with a bad taste in your mouth. And it's supposed to. Because it's only half of the equation. Do you see what God is doing in his word? He's leaving us wanting more. He's leaving us asking, why are we left in this precarious place? Why are we left utterly defiled, breaking the covenant promise once more? Why are we once more deserving of exile? Because we're sinners. And we've only heard one half of the story. We've heard the law and the law condemns. What does it leave us wanting? Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Messiah. That's what we cry out when we see the ending of Nehemiah. Come, Lord Jesus, come. In many ways, the people of Israel in the book of Nehemiah resemble Peter. Peter follows God and tries his best to listen to Jesus' commands and do his, his will and his ways, but he falls off the bandwagon time and time again. And in the end, in a very big way, is he denies Jesus himself his Lord and Savior. And at that moment when, when Peter weeps and flees after denying Jesus, that's where we are left at the end of Nehemiah. That's where we are left when we read of our own shortcomings and our own disobedience. We need Jesus to call out to us like he called out to Peter on, that, on the shore on the side of the lake. We need to dive in and run to our Jesus so that we can hear his word of forgiveness to us. We desperately need the other half of the equation. We need the gospel. In our reading today, in our gospel reading, Jesus goes into his own hometown in Nazareth and he rises to read the scripture in the middle of the synagogue, much in the same way that Ezra stood up and read the word of God to the people of God in Jerusalem. But in, in the synagogue in Nazareth, Jesus, instead of simply reading the law, chooses a very particular scroll from the prophet Isaiah where he reads these words. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is what is missing from Nehemiah. The fulfillment of these words are missing. This is what Peter was hungry for when he found himself fleeing and weeping away from the temple court after denying his Savior Jesus. This is what you and I are hungry for when we see the inadequacies of our own lives and our own ability to fulfill God's laws. 
We are hungry for this to be fulfilled, that the Spirit of the Lord is on someone because that someone has been anointed to proclaim good news, the gospel to those who are poor, which is us. And Jesus gives the best answer that he possibly can give. After he reads these verses from the Old Testament, he says these words, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And these words professed by Jesus Christ, that he is the one who fulfills the Old Testament, he is the one who has come to proclaim good news to the poor, Nehemiah is resolved. Our sin is resolved. Peter's guilt and shame is resolved. We have in Jesus Christ the only fulfillment, the only thing which gives us the other half of the picture that God has given to us in his scripture. Jesus Christ is the answer to Nehemiah. So as we read Nehemiah, as we look through Nehemiah chapter 8 and we see the words, do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength, we quickly come to realize we don't, we don't find ourselves rejoicing in our own abilities to rebuild a wall. We don't find ourselves rejoicing in the ability to build temples where we worship God or to bring our best offerings to Him. We don't find ourselves rejoicing that we hear the law, that it gives us, uh, uh, that it gives us purpose and meaning. We rejoice in and only in the fact that Jesus Christ is the one who speaks good news to us, the poor. And we rejoice that he is the one who has given freedom to the prisoners because we certainly are prisoners in our sin. We are the ones who are spiritually blind, who he restores sight to. And we are the ones who are oppressed, whom he has set free. This is truly the proclamation of the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus Christ in his coming is the only thing which heals our wounds and makes us right before God. We will violate the covenant promise to God in every moment of our life because we are sinful people. But take heart because Christ has fulfilled the covenant on your behalf. Find yourself and find your joy in his strength. The, the, the joy of the Lord is certainly our strength. Amen.